Okay, so this year we're going to finish up on Hanun. And I also brought some other things from a different class in case we have extra time, because this may not actually be that long. And I didn't start a new bracha. Um, so I think, I, I hate to do it, but I think this may be the last of the Wednesday shears for a while. And then we'll have to pick up after Pesach. Um, yeah, hopefully we'll continue at least on Shabbos for a little while, but I think this might be the last Wednesday class until oh. sometime after Pesach. Because oh. I think I just have to dedicate myself to Pesach cleaning now. Oh. So, <laughs> um, even though I hate to, I hate to stop because I'm, you know, it's it's easy to stop. It's not easy to start. So I like to keep going when I can. Well, if you're confident after Pesach, at least we have hope. <laughs> if I'm confident? That you'll have the time and I, the energy. Well, let's see how we're doing. Yeah. <laughs> That's, That's some time after Pesach. That's a question. We'll see what happens after Pesach, and I don't know my summer plans, and, you know, so I really hate to stop. Um, let me just get that door. Okay. All right, so yeah, last week we were talking about the, the closing of the bracha and how, <clears throat> excuse me, how we have changes in the wording and we have hamar belisloach, a lot of slicha, and we also have the word chanun sort of suddenly showing up here where it wasn't really in the bracha before. So what is this idea of chanun sort of graciously or something? Um, that's kind of where we're where we are now. So this particular book quotes a sefer called Hadas Vehadibor, which I don't know. This is the uh, what I'm reading from is from Atalale Oros on Tfila, but it's quoting a sefer called Das Vehadibor, which I don't know. Um, and it says it's working with three questions about the bracha. One is. For Chatoim, we ask for Slicha. For Pshayim, we ask for Mechil. This is a question we already discussed. Why not ask for Slicha for Chatoim and Pshayim? Or why not ask for Mechila for Chatoim and Pshayim? In the beginning of the bracha, we ask for Slicha and then Mechila. But in the end, we say, Mochel v'Soleach. Hashem is Mochel and Soleach. And it's also a question that we already looked at to some extent. And then in the third bracha, in the end of the bracha, we don't have... Mechila at all. We have Chanun Hamarbe Lisloach, where we have Hamarbe, which means a lot, which seems by itself a lot to add the word. And the word Chanun, which hadn't previously shown up, the gracious part. And would, why add Hamarbe if Chanun means that he's giving it freely? So then wouldn't that sort of suggest the pl- plentifulness of it. So this sefer, the, <laughs> this what I was looking at was a Tali or I was quoting the Hadas Hadibor, but apparently the Hadas Hadibor quotes a book called Ayala Sashachar, which is a, a very, that is a much earlier book. And the Ayala Sashachar on Vayikra says that Slicha is the complete cleansing of sin. This is something we also had come across, where it's completely wiped away. There's no sign of the Avera at all. Once a person, once Hashem has provided slicha, that degree of forgiveness 
is not just forgiveness, it actually wipes the slate clean. And we only ask that for the chatoim because they were not on purpose. So I think the concept over there is that the effect of them is somewhat external to the person because it wasn't intentional. So to erase the effect of the sin is not so difficult. To erase the change inside the person that the person kind of has to do himself. So slicha only applies, you'd only ask that for something that you did unintentionally where the mark of it is not anyway on the inside. And mechila for the intentional ones. And then the intentional ones hopefully will be reduced to unintentional through our tshuva and through the mechila and then go back to slicha. So he's suggesting that that's why the bracha moves from slicha to mechila, then mechila to slicha with Hashem's action, which that far we had gotten, but then he takes it another step and he says, and we conclude only with slicha because that would be slicha that wipes out all signs of everything. So he kind of took it a third step further than where we had gotten to. And he says the fact that it goes step by step in these three stages of the bracha is also why we say chanun hamar meaning Hashem forgives us harbe, more than once, over and over again. Because it's, it's, these stages are representing that Hashem forgives us, and he forgives us again, and then he does another layer of forgiveness, and that wipes everything out. So that's the harmarbe. It's not just that all different times, but even in what we're asking right here, we're really asking him to forgive us three times. So that's the harmarbe. Um... Now this question, this is from Shemat Filasi of Rav Chaim Kanievsky. We say, Slach lanu avinu ki chatanu, machal lanu malkinu ki pashanu. On Yom Kippur, we say, like in the Vidui, v'al kulam elokas licho slach lanu, machal lanu, kaper lanu. There's a third one. So the question over here is, how come we don't also ask for kapara? And we see that sometimes there's such a concept, we ask for forgiveness, we ask for slicha, mechila, and kapara. Three different kinds of forgiveness. But over here we only said slicha and mechila, not kapara. So he answers, Ein kapara gemura ela biyom kippur o bekarban. Now this does not exactly align with something else that we had seen earlier where they were saying that, I forget who it was, it might have been Rav Hirsch, that the forgive, might not have been Rav Hirsch, I'm not, I don't remember now, um, where we're asking for forgiveness and getting total forgiveness even though it's not Yom Kippur and there's no Karban. Rav Chaim Kanievsky was saying that Kapara requires an extra degree, like some outside thing. Mm-hmm. And on a normal day, you don't have that. I mean, Yom Kippur is brings kapara, okay, on its own, right? It's like a mikvah that gets dumped right over you just by being there. So there's an extent to which you can have kapara on Yom Kippur that you don't have the rest of the year. And apparently a korban could do the same thing. So what he's saying over here is that you have the slicha and mechila. You don't ask for kapara because you're not dealing with anything. I don't entirely understand the answer because to some extent, at least, the tefillah is supposed to be the korban. On the other hand, 
you know, you could just say yes, except you're missing, you still don't have the carbon. So there's a, there is some difference. So I don't know. That's what he suggests. But I like, I also like the question enough to, even without an answer, I like, uh, I like that. Okay, so with regard it's, to Hanun. It's more of like a physical act to, you know, to Except that it's not asking that, because then you could say, okay, so you'll do something for the tshuva. It's not that. It seems to be there are certain mitzvos or times that are gifts from God that provide kapara or the opportunity for kapara. Right. And without them, so you don't have kapara. You could have slicha, you could have mechila, but you wouldn't have kapara. I know that I've seen elsewhere Rav Hirsch talk about kapara. He relates it to the idea, you can remember it like cover, because kapara sounds a little like cover, but of, and not everyone agrees. Some say that kapara is a higher degree of forgiveness even. Rav Hirsch tends to take kapara as something which hides the signs of the sin. Like, like when you spread a white tablecloth over, a clean tablecloth over the dirty one, it's still dirty underneath. But at least for the short term, right, there could be negative consequences over time. Like by leaving it there. Yeah, it could leak through. It could leak through, (laughs) you leave it long enough, it might get a little gross, it might attract bugs. But for the short term, somebody's about to walk in the door, you can spread it out, it'll look nice, it'll be respectable, and then you have bought time to deal with the underlying problem later. So Rav Hirsch often, sorry? (laughs) Underlying. Underlying, exactly, exactly underlying. So (laughs) Rav Hirsch, I think in in a few places I've seen that he takes that approach to kapara, where kapara is a covering over of the sin, but it doesn't actually, it's, it's only on the superficial level. It's still a gift. Yeah, it's still a gift. And it also, what it does is it also allows you to be in a good position for being judged at the moment. Just like if someone came in your house, they're going to judge what kind of people are these, you know, like, are they clean or dirty? Well, they say clean, you know, so there, there could be other reasons why that would be sensible thing to do, even if, you know, even if you haven't solved all the problems, sometimes just being able to deal with part of it is also worthwhile. Okay, so with regard to Hanun, um, some interesting pieces here, mostly from Rav Hirsch, about Chain and Chonin. And maybe we'll be able to figure out how they totally fit together because I actually did not understand entirely how he fit them together. I know he must have, because he always has until now. Okay, so the first thing is with Chain. That really starts with the end of Parsha's Bereshis, V'noach matzah Chain be'inei Hashem. Noach, of course, his name is Chain backwards. And Noach found Chain in the eyes of God would be normally he found grace in the eyes of God or favor in the eyes of God. What does that mean? So I think we actually did this in Parsha's Noach one year. Um, here's, here's how Rav Hirsch explains Chain, because Chain, of course, is going to be the, the root of Chanun. Right, we're talking about Chanun. He is gracious in giving us a lot of slicha, but the root of the word Chanun is Chain. Which grace, I guess, grace, gracious, you know, but what does that mean? Okay, so Rav Hirsch says, with Noach matzachin ve'ine Hashem, not that Noach found grace in the sense of being spared or excused, which is by itself very interesting 
and especially important because of the way these words are used in English, and it sounds like maybe also in German, which wouldn't be surprising, um, coming out of a Christian culture, right? So if God showed his grace to somebody, maybe they are, they are guilty and yet God spared them. That's not, but that's, that's the way that the word is being used in English. He says that's not what the Pasuk means, Noach Matzachain Be'enei Hashem. Not that Noach found grace in the sense of being spared or excused. Matzachain Be'enei, finding favor or grace in the eyes of someone, never means finding grace with somebody that he should excuse you from punishment. If we think about that a second, without knowing how Rav Hirsch came to this, we could see why it must be so. Because, not in all other cases, but when it comes to Hashem, the Gemara has already told us that we, it's forbidden to say that Hashem is vatran, that he says, never mind. Okay? We're talking about forgiveness. Forgiveness, yes. He has chanun hamar He forgives a lot. That's not the same as saying, you do something wrong and God says, well, never mind, I'll overlook it. Okay? He might overlook it for a certain amount of time. Maybe that's kapara. It's one way of understanding kapara. He might say, okay, we're not going to judge this yet. That might be rachamim, so you have time to deal with it. He might say, I'm willing to forgive you since you're sorry. Mm-hmm. He might say, you've earned forgiveness through the fact that you've done real tshuva and you've changed the whole root of the problem and you've committed to doing things differently in the future. But all of that is part of a relationship with a person. It's not God turning the other cheek <laughs> to sort of double layer a Christian <laughs> philosophy on top of itself, you know, <laughs> that, that we are not allowed to say. Mm-hmm. Nor is it the halacha for people either. Okay, rather, it is always used in cases where the granting of a wish or favor is to be expected by somebody from somebody. So asking somebody, please, to be honen is saying, is begging of them to grant a wish or a favor. And the matzachin, finding chin in the eyes of the other, is a situation where the favor or the wish may be expected to be granted. It's reasonable to expect that they would do that favor which is not the same as saying you deserve a punishment, but I'm not going to apply it. Thus, when Avraham wishes the angels to enter his tent, when the Egyptians are to make gifts to the people, and so on, then these terms are used. Which is interesting, because I noticed that in the Parsha, right, we just did Bishalach, but at the end of Bo, the Jewish people had to go and ask the Egyptians to give them all their money and their jewels and their valuables to take with them out of Egypt. And it says that they found favor in the eyes of the Egyptians. That's a bit late now, mm-hmm. right? <laughs> like now suddenly we find favor in your eyes after all we've been through and all you've put us through. Right? He said, it's because they're asking them to give them gifts. And in this situation, as odd as it is, it is in fact to be expected that they're going to give the gifts because that's what God said. <laughs> Okay. Same thing, when Avram says to the Malachim to please come sit down or come into the tent, mm-hmm. they would be doing him an honor to do that. But it's a, 
it's reasonable to expect that they will nonetheless. Between God and man, it is really the very highest state that man can reach towards God. Thus Moshe says, Laman be'inecha, in order that I may know, Laman, in order that I may find favor in your eyes. So he translates it as, so that I may know what I have to do to continue to be worthy of your favor. In other words, Hashem, please tell me what to do in order that I can find favor in your eyes in a way is describing the highest level of our relationship with Hashem would be that he, he looks at us in such a way as to find us worthy of doing something that it would be reasonable to do for us, to give to us. It doesn't have to be deserved. He's not saying that you deserve to have it. He's saying that what it doesn't mean is what it tends to mean in the societies we live in where grace is a forgiveness of sin or an ignoring of it. That's not the issue here. It's not really about deserving or undeserving. It's, is the relationship such that you would find me worthy that you would wish to do for me? So that word you keep using, reasonable. This is, this is like the crux of the idea of that the relationship is established and so therefore you have reason to... You have reason to believe it, but it's based on the, on the relationship, not, right. not having earned it per se, right. but that the relationship is such that, you know, when you look at somebody and you just want to do for them because they're sweet to you or you care about them or you love them, that seems to be where he is taking this. That that's, therefore, it is reasonable. When you know that somebody cares about you, even if you don't deserve it, you'd, you could still come to them and say, could I ask you a favor? And by the way, the person, it doesn't, he, he's sort of saying that it does not always, with God, that's what it would mean. But with the Mitzrayim, I don't think the Egyptians loved us. But nonetheless, under this, given the situation as it was, it was not crazy to go and say, we want... I'd like to take your jewelry with me when I go. <laughs> and they would say, oh, how marvelous. Okay. <laughs> it would be an honor to have you take it. All right. So, chen is not yet the favor being granted. Chen is the being found worthy for it. Chen is the state where the one who grants the favor looks at the one who needs the favor and thinks, yes, I would do that for you. Now, it doesn't say, okay, hang on, sorry. This is a a different point. Okay. Now, the fact that matzachin, finding favor, which suggests some sort of effort to look, Mm -hmm. right, finding is kind of, one who says, I toiled and I found, believe him. One who says, I, I, worked, I, I didn't work hard and I found results, don't believe it. That's usually a sign of a pyramid scheme or something. Okay. Then is not by chance. It means that there's some effort going in to finding that. So it occurs with people whom God furnishes with quite special strength and means for quite special purposes, which is an interesting thing he's adding on. It's not the chain itself, 
but this sort of matzachin, finding favor, that it means that there's an effort going here. So it is used with Moshe, who's saying, tell me how I can find favor. It's used with regard to the Jewish people. Ko amar Hashem matzachin bamidbar amsri decharev, right, we have the song. Right, what matzachin bamidbar, meaning there was something very. This chain was found in us because we have a special purpose that's going to be fulfilled through the process, and also with Noah, everything's going to be destroyed, and Noah is pulling. He's doing a favor for Noah, but it's it's because there's a very big job ahead for him. It's not just for who he is in the moment. Okay, so that's. This is piece number one. Like I said, I'm not absolutely certain how it all works together, but let's see. Then there is another section for the word Hanun itself in Parshas Kisisa, where Rav Hirsch is defining as best as well. I should not say he's defining because he very clearly says at the beginning that it's not defining. Um, where after the and and Moshe asks for forgiveness right I mean talk about the context of forgiveness Hashem ultimately he says Hashem will you show me your ways so I can understand and Hashem says nobody can really understand that in their lifetime but I will I will show before you how um the basic principle of my interactions with the world, which is that I am Hashem, Yud Kei Vav and Kei, infinite loving creator of the world, which is manifested in many different ways. Okay, which really answers the question, how can it be? Tzadik Viralo, Rasha Vitovlo. Why does it sometimes look like it's good for somebody who's bad and bad for somebody who's good? The answer is that really it's all unified and consistent. But Hashem expresses this into the world in many different ways. Therefore, when we observe it from down here, we don't always see the consistency that's at the root of it all. Okay, so that just in short is how Hashem is answering Moshe's question by giving him the 13 names of God. The 13 midos, Hashem, Hashem, Kel, Rachum, Vechanun, Erech HaPayim, Verav Chesed, Ve'emes. That is why this is an answer to what Moshe was asking. Is Hashem is saying, I, I am actually one. And I'm always one and unified and consistent. The way you see it, is only these aspects or angles, and therefore it doesn't appear to you to be that way. But this is what Hashem was revealing to him without him being able to actually see entirely how it all fits. Okay. What he actually saw remains unknown to us, which is why he's like quite careful that we shouldn't think that these definitions are the full definitions any more than the words in the Pasuk are the full explanation. But the words of the names by which that which he saw was explained to him are taught here. And those we can try stammeringly to follow and attempt some understanding of them. That's what Refer says. So we <laughs> sort of approaching this very, very cautiously, not the sort of thing. Yeah, with awe. Okay. 
So the manifold variety is brought about by Hashem having given man freedom of will. So the names start with Hashem, Hashem, twice, the same name twice. The one, the unity, the oneness, the uniformity of all the manifold variety of manifestations of God in his ruling. The name by which he announced himself to us after he completed the creation of the physical world as the continuing creator. In this name, the conception of God, we find the uniformity in the manifold and various forms which God's ruling in the world and mankind takes. The reason for the variety, and this to me is an incredible chiddush, is brought about by God having given man freedom of will. If not for the fact that the world was created in order that people should have free will and be able to make choices and relate to Hashem through those choices and be mamlechim, then there would be no need for Hashem to approach the world and many different kinds of angles and different manifestations of his chesed. It wouldn't be necessary because everything would always function exactly as it ought to and therefore would be related to exactly as it ought to. But now God is creating a, has created a world where he is accommodating billions of people making exponentially billions of choices and each of these has to be responded to and allowed for and reacted to and adjusted around in order to keep God's will constantly happening, which is why it gets too complicated for us to understand. It's because of us. <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah. That, that is Hence, his ability to err and the pos- people to err and the possibility of man losing his way and of his defection in every possible degree in any given phase of the development of the individual and mankind in general. Hashem remains Hashem. That's why it starts with Hashem, and then again Hashem. Ruling the world for the education of men and mankind up to the ultimate solution of the problem of happiness in the future. I know this isn't the Hanun part yet, but it's still a very wondrous concept even on the simplest level, that Hashem is Hashem, and he isn't changing. And the fact that we see his interactions in so many ways, sometimes it seems like Din, and sometimes it seems like Chesed, and sometimes like Rachamim, and sometimes like Gevura, and sometimes unfair, and sometimes all these different things, all of that is Hashem remaining perfectly Hashem while ruling the world for the education of men and mankind, up to the ultimate solution of the problem of happiness in the future. That whole process along the way is what this is about. This name gives us a conception, a thought, in light of which Kol Tuvo, which he explains really embracious, the universal goodness of his ruling for men and of his work for mankind can be presented to us. So Kol Tuvo, Let's not go there. It's really, this is not our topic. But (laughs) we have, we touched on it in the past. In Bereshis, when it says that Hashem saw as kol asher asa v'hine tov me'od. At the end of the sixth day, after he's created man, God saw kol, everything he had made, v'hine tov me'od. So Rav Hirsch says over there, 
That means there's something about whatever makes it be coal that gives us, he says, vihine means a new insight into behold, right? We see something new that we didn't see before, not God, us, which is tov me'od. Until now we saw tov. Mm-hmm. Now tov me'od. So the word kol, this comes up because we've talked about this Lagba Omer time probably, or Shavuos, because kol is 50, 20 plus 30. So that idea of counting 49 days and then 50 days and, okay. So when God sees all that he has created, this is said after he creates man, which means after there's a creation of the Yetzir Hara and death and I forget what the other ones are, the Satan, whatever all the different things are, sleep, night, dark, okay, all these things, then Hashem says, this is Tov Me'od, right? And Chazal say, Tov Me'od means the fact that there's death, the fact that there's... I think it, uh, Rabbi Mayer wrote in his notes, um, Tov Ma'od, Tov Mavas. Death is good. I mean, this is something that you can see only with the creation of people. And this idea of kol is this all-encompassing. If you had the whole picture, then you'd understand. It's kind of referring to this as kol tuvo, because in this parsha in Kisisa, Hashem says, I will pass kol tuvi, all of my good. So... There's this reference back to the beginning of creation that's being demonstrated over here, the universal goodness of his ruling for men and his work for mankind. It's, it's a goodness that encompasses that which we do not necessarily perceive to be good at the time. But which, when time will come to its conclusion and its, its satisfactory solution of ultimate happiness, then we see how everything really was good the whole time. It is always the same goodness working for the goal of happiness and salvation of men and mankind, whether it manifests itself as, so all of that was his way of saying Hashem, Hashem, and then whether it manifests itself as Kel, Rachum, Chanun, Erech okay, this is how he's explaining the sentence of or sentences of the 13 Midos. This is really such a helpful breakdown. Okay, so now, jumping ahead to Hanun, because that's really why we're here. Hanun. Hashem is described as Hanun, which is the word we use here, asking in our bracha for slicha, we describe Hashem as Hanun. What does it mean over here when Hashem describes himself as Hanun? And Reverse would say, what do you mean, what does it mean? We don't know. But stammeringly, let's see what we could try and learn from it. Hanun, never becoming tired of granting anew the energies and powers which had been used up or trifled away. So I don't, I'm thinking Hashem gave you energy for the day. You use 10% of it to perform his will and 90% of it to, um, I don't know, something you maybe shouldn't have done. And yet you go to sleep at night and you wake up in the morning and Hashem will give you more energy. Okay. I think that's one example of never becoming tired of granting anew the energy and powers which had been used up or trifled away. People can spend many years studying subjects that are either, 
let's say they don't justify the expenditure of time, <coughs> mm-hmm. you know, you can get your PhD in comic book, you know, authorship or something, <laughs> which like there may be something interesting about that Lamaisa, but like, did it really justify eight years of your life and attention? And there's also people who could spend a lot of their time and mental energy that God has gifted them and use it to understand things that are actually bad or antithetical to God's work. That's worse, I imagine. I don't know. Okay. And yet, Hashem does not get tired. He doesn't run out of energy for giving us gifts. That's this Hanun, the giftness, right? Of energy and powers, which we have used up or trifled away. Now, used up might not be trifling. Used up could just be using it for good. And Hashem still keeps replenishing. But certainly with the trifling away, that's, um, that's rather more astonishing that he doesn't say, excuse me, you just wasted a whole month. Why should I give you another? And never becoming tired of granting a new and of increasing and enriching by fresh gifts those powers which had already been granted and which had been truly used. So you can waste away. We all waste away a certain amount of energy Hashem gives us. Not all. I'm sure there are tzaddikim who don't. You know, it's Avraham was Baba Yamim. He came with all his days. But most of us, there's just some amount that we don't matter. We have idle conversations, even if they're not Lashon Hara, even if they're not bad. We read things that are, again, even if they're not bad, they're idle, or they don't contribute to our development and growth or to our service of Hashem. And Hashem replenishes. And on top of that, there's the energy that we do use for Avodah Hashem. And also that Hashem increases. He even might give us new power that we didn't have before to build on that. <clears throat> okay. So that's one piece for Hanun. When we say Hanun Hamar Belisloach, Hashem is Hanun. He never gets tired of granting anew the energy and powers which were used up or trifled. You see how relevant it is to this bracha. Where we're saying, ki chatanu, ki pashanu, we've sinned unintentionally, we've sinned intentionally, please forgive us. You are chanun. That's, that's the basis upon which we're approaching you. I guess that explains the two parts. I didn't understand how these two, how the chen and the chanun work together, but maybe that's what it is. Why do I have the nerve to even ask that of you? <laughs> the, re- the basis upon which I'm coming to ask you is that that you, you do, in fact, relate to us this way. That we can come and say, please provide me with slicha again. <laughs> please forgive me again. Please help me do tshuva again. Please give me more energy again. And furthermore... Furthermore, it's sort of backward, but this is on the same passage in Kisisa. Hashem says, 
I will make the whole diversity of my uniform goodness pass before you. Oh, let me get that husk out. hand the shear is kind of short so this is really where we're going to be ending so I may as well develop the theme in its entirety coming up in just a few weeks as a matter of fact Moshe says, and now, if I have found chen in your eyes, Hashem, inform me, teach me of your ways, so that I may know you better. This was the reference that he made in Noah, in order that I may find favor in your eyes. Right? There's a purpose and a and seek that this nation is your people. And Hashem says, I will lead before you. Hang on. Let me jump ahead here to where we're up to. But Yomar and Moshe said, Hareni noas kavodecho, show me your glory. Vayomer ani avir kol tuvi alponecha. Hashem says, I shall pass before your face kol tuvi, all of my good. Mm-hmm. And this as I said, it kind of hints us back into Bereshis as kol asher osa vehine kol me'od. Right, that that was back there. I will pass all of my good before you, v'karasi b'shem Hashem lefanecha, and call the name of Hashem, yud hey vav and hey before you. When he does that, in a few verses, we see that it unfolds into all these other ways of interacting. Vachanosi es asher achon, verichamti es asher arachem. Let me come back to this phrase for in a second. And Hashem said, You cannot see my face because no man can see me face on, so to speak, and live. So stand over here and I'll protect you from some of this, this glory. And then Hashem told him, Okay. So there's this interesting little statement there. I will behave with Hanun. I'm not sure how you would translate that. <laughs> I will be gracious with those I will be gracious to and have Rachamim for those I will have Rachamim for. And I'm not, it's very hard to understand why that's there at all. What is, you know, these are, these are the kind of verses where you can't even ask these questions. Like, why did I, well, I don't, whatever, you know. This is, we're talking about Hashem is referring to his own interactions with us. You don't even really get to ask questions about that. You just have to see what you could possibly learn from it. Okay. Okay. 
at is like, like individual events are really everything's part of a much events. bigger yeah yeah that's a really good point that when we see we see individual events and we we frame stories you know we start every story with once upon a time but once upon a time is not usually when the baby was born in the story it's once upon a time there was a little girl who lived in a forest so we start with there because we've decided that in order to tell the story and learn the lesson we're going to start at some point and end at some point that's always the art of of a new story or any other story is knowing where do you begin it and where do you end it but really it's all part of a much bigger life and world and culture and everything all working together and that's an that's it's such an interesting point because of this context where Hashem is saying that because of all that, mm-hmm. then what we see in each slice of story is only some angle of his interaction that's really all part of some greater unity. Mm-hmm. Okay, so here is Rav Hirsch on this Vachanosi es asher achon, which is also that word chen and chanun, and verichanti es asher rachem, which is shmos lamed gimel yud tes. Okay, I will make the whole diversity of my uniform goodness pass before you and bring to your understanding every nuance of this diversity by a special name of God which is appropriate to it. So for each, what would be the word? Each each stripe in the gradient, I'm going to provide a name that is suitable or appropriate to that piece of diversity. Vachanosi, before your very eyes, God says to Moshe, I will exercise my chanina and rachamim, not yet defined. I will let you see how differently in different cases my chanina and rachamim work according to the special characteristics of the one to whom I am granting them. Okay, because the verse said, I vachanosi es asher achon. I will demonstrate chanina to the one who, to whom I will demonstrate it. So there is an interaction here. Thank you. Good morning. There's an interaction that is at least in part a function of the one who is being interacted with by God. I, I will vachanosi esasherachon. I will show chanina esasherachon to the person that I am showing chanina to. Do, do you hear how Rav Hirsch picked out from here a very, a, a subtle but very important, that's su, su, not a suggestion, implication of the words, which is, that sometimes Hashem will behave with chanina, sometimes he will behave with rachamim. With either one of those, and presumably with other situations as well, part of what defines how Hash- or determines how Hashem is interacting with the person is who is the person that I am interacting with. This comes back to what we said earlier although it's later in Reverse's commentary, right, about this idea that it is because people have free will that Hashem, therefore, 
interact with the world on so many different kinds of layers and levels and different types of interactions. These are, this is the same concept that in part what we are receiving is a function not only of who Hashem is but what kind of receptacle we are. Okay. Diversity has 13 names, but like that doesn't mean there's only like 13 parts or 13 distinct parts, or it's like it's this whole spectrum that yeah. we can only like interact with. In he's he's dividing it into way. these parts for whatever reason, yeah. Right. But there's but definitely, it's, it's not, and we know there's a, if nothing else, there are combinations. Like, because you have that with the Sphiros, right? You have that in, like, yeah. Sphiros Omer, Chesed Shepherachimim, Chesed Shepherachimim, Chesed Shepherachimim, if nothing else, even, even, even the, it, is, the overlapping of these areas yeah, creates new like colors. Are naming the colors, you know, with five or six different names when there's That's right. millions of different There's so spectrum. many more, right? That's always very fun, you know, you have these things, how culturally the words for the, the name, the colors, affect what colors you notice. If you don't have a name for something, you may not realize it's there. So, you know, the, the, answer, the example that always strikes me because it came up so often in Israel is if you're talking to a real Israeli who may know English, but, you know, and you ask them to pass you in Hebrew something that is kachol, they may look around and say, I don't see anything kachol. And if you're an American or an English speaker, to you, light blue is in the category of blue. It's light blue, but the light is just like a modifier. The blue is the main thing. So if you ask for something light blue, but you use the word kahol, an Israeli who's really Israeli, especially if you spoke to them in Hebrew, they look around and they don't see anything kahol. Because kahol is not light blue. Tchelet is light blue, and kahol is a dark kind of blue. There's a lot of shades of blue within kahol, but light blue isn't one of them. Light blue is like some other part of the spectrum. And yeah, and I know I've seen the same thing. Um, well, another Israeli example is they call what officially in America is called the amber light on a traffic light, but colloquially is called the yellow light. Um, Israelis call orange, which is very surprising if you're not expecting it. The light is, oh, the light is orange. It's yellow. But it's, it, I mean, it's amber, which is an orange yellow, really. So because we tend to call it yellow, what we notice is the yellowness of it. And because they call it orange, they notice the orange of it. And by the way, in Japan, the light that tells you to go is called the blue light. That's very confusing. But if you look at the, now they actually over the years have gone bluer and bluer with their light. But if you, if you look at it, it's a blue green. Traffic light, the green light is not green, it's, it's a blue-green. So if in your culture you categorize that more toward the blue and less toward the green, and then you end up using the word blue for it, you don't really pay attention to the greenness of it. And if you are accustomed to talking about the green light, you don't really notice how blue it is. And, you know, these are just like little examples, but this is true in, in many, many areas, and with color in particular. So when Hashem gave us these 13 names, he's like pointing us at certain he's saying, aspects that we should pay attention to. That, yeah, 
Because it's for sure something infinite. We already said it's Hashem, which is the right. infinite name. Right. So that, and that's, Lo sucha You can't see it. So he's already cutting it down into a very limited spectrum of categories for us. The attention to these, that's Apparently. important to you? I guess. I guess. I don't know for sure, but I suppose. Okay. My, um, I, will sh- I will let you see how differently in different cases my Hanina and Rachamim work according to the special characteristics of the one to whom I am granting them. This is the Vachanosi es asher achon, verichamti es asher arachem. I will not only show you how my one uniform goodness manifests itself diversely as Hanina, Rachamim, etc., etc., saying it's not limited to Hanina and Rachamim, even though this Pasuk refers to that. That's the beginning of Keil Rachum Vechanun Erech Apaim Vrav But how even the same manifestation, Vachanosi, so the same manifestation has again diverse shades of difference according to the different individuality of the receivers. That's also going to... So there's, it's not just vachanosi sometimes and verichamti sometimes and not just vachanosi for the people who need vachanosi and verichamti for the people who need verichamti but the nature of the vachanosi that's going to be seen will depend upon Esasherachon, the one who is receiving it. You are to learn, Hashem says to Moshe, how specified and individual my guiding care is. That's almost like, you know, you came in with a question that it's difficult to see in the world that God is behaving fairly. And Hashem, in giving this lesson, is not only introducing mankind into a whole new level of how it's possible to relate to Hashem from our point of view, but answering that question by saying, you will learn how specialized, specified an individual my guiding care is. It is absolutely individualized for each person receiving his his Mm -hmm. care. It is just this specialized individual application of God's goodness that God's chain works differently according to es asher yichon, his rachamim according to es asher yirachim, which escapes the insight of mortals who can only realize the general trend of conditions, but to which the true nature of any individual remains a closed secret. God, ha'adam Hashem We can only see the outside of a person. We can't see into the heart of even one other person. We can barely see into our own hearts. We certainly can't see into the hearts of other people, which means that one of the key factors to understanding how Hashem is behaving fairly, not, it's, fairly is not even the word, with love and kindness and chanina and rachamim to every single person, we, we, we can't even see the part of it that depends on the human nature, let alone God's nature, the human nature, because that affects it, because that's the prism through which it's coming, that's the receptacle into which it's pouring, and yet we cannot see that, because we can't see into other people's hearts. The true nature of any individual is a closed secret to us. 
That is why we err so easily in judging the ways of God. That, isn't that a different approach? Meaning we would say, why do, we, why do people misjudge God? Well, because we don't know enough about him. But what, what Rav Hirsch really boils it down to is, it's because we don't know enough about each other. We don't know enough about people. That it really underlies all of this because it underlies how Hashem relates in, to us overall, how Hashem relates to the individual, and what the individual perceives they are receiving. Just, I mean, I don't know that this is correct, but perhaps we could just give us a small case of that. Right, when, when Yaakov was still mourning for Yosef, and Hashem, Rashi brings, right, the Chazal, that Hashem says, you're mourning and I'm making him a king. <laughs> right? Because what you perceive is based on what you're able to receive. But you don't know that what I'm actually doing is making your son a king and allowing him to save the rest of the people and the whole family from starvation and get them settled and protect them from racism and bigotry and okay so even inside of ourselves we misjudge what Hashem is doing for us because we don't understand the reasons he's doing it and we don't even understand how who we are has affected what has to happen to us in order for us to develop into who we could become, which is a chesed. Hashem doesn't tire of giving us the energy and he doesn't get bored with waiting around for us to finally shape up or get our act together. (laughs) He waits with us and he takes the time with us and he keeps adjusting our situation and our circumstances and our challenges and our capabilities in order that we can develop. We don't even understand ourselves well enough to necessarily see, although sometimes we can get a glimpse. We can realize, you know what, thank God I had this challenge because I wouldn't have become. Maybe in the moment I couldn't see it, but at least afterward I could look back and say, Baruch Hashem, if that hadn't happened, then where would I be now? That would have been worse. I wouldn't want to do it again, but, it would, <laughs> but, but thank God that he cared enough to take me there. We err so easily in judging the ways of God and forget that where to our judgment it seems like tzaddik viralo or rasha vetovlo, we not only can be mistaken in our estimation of who's the tzaddik and who's the rasha, <laughs> but certainly we lack the ability to be certain in any given case to state with certainty what is ralo and what is tovlo. We come in and we have these misjudgments of God. Hey, tzaddik viralo, he's such a tzaddik. Why did this have to happen to him? Rasha Vitovlo, he's such a bad person. How come he has it so good? Really? You could tell who's a tzaddik and who's a rasha? Because nobody else can. <laughs> right? And, and, and you are so sure that what's happening to him is ralo, is bad for him? Or tovlo, good for him? We, we are not capable of judging either side of that statement. <laughs> so there's a certain humility that has to come there. But w- with that humility also comes an appreciation that Thank God God does know. <laughs> I mean, that's, I think, uh, not a bad place for us to start in trusting and putting our hand, ourselves into God's hands. 
is realizing we don't really know who's good and who's not. And we don't really know what's good and what's not. So maybe we shouldn't be too quick to judge. (laughs) Only the deepest insight into the true nature of any individual can be sure what in real truth is tov or ra. Even the Even if God showed Moshe the answer by letting him see the specialized individuality meted out in his conduct in God's conduct of affairs, nevertheless the limited human insight even of a Moshe Rabbeinu is not able to judge the conduct of every person and every situation in every specified case. So maybe we should just let go of that <laughs> part. Okay, so that, that concludes Hanun Hamar Um And maybe that's the most wondrous bit of all. Yeah. Maybe the most wondrous part of all is that from all of that Hanun, which is so, yeah, one little slice and, and even narrowed down to its Hashem's interaction with us personally, is so beyond us, and yet the chain, the ability that we can ha- we can say, Hashem Chanun Hamar please forgive, and He will. That's that's pretty. That's perhaps the most amazing thing of all. So, thank you very much. Yeah, thank you. So that will have to hold us for a while, I think. Yeah. <laughs> um, Oh, that was Bolkval. Come already. <laughs> okay. So Didn't recognize it. Thank you. Can't judge. Yeah. Takes off such a burden. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Such a big responsibility we've been carrying around, you know. Okay. Thank you. Okay. And uh, Thank you. we'll still hopefully get together for Shabbos for a while.